Have you ever wanted someone to walk alongside you as you do the thing? You know, the thing that makes your heart come alive and leaves our world more like Jesus than we found it. I know, and that's why I'm here. My name is Rebecca Dotson-George. I'm a speaker, writer, career coach, and just all around excited to be in your earbuds for the next few minutes. I'm a girl wildly passionate about cheering you on as you make God known in and through your creative mission. Here's the thing though, I know sometimes you can get discouraged. I'm not good enough. I don't know where to start. I can't do as good of a job as she's doing. These are all lies that we sometimes believe and I'm here to help you debunk those lies that are ruling your mind about your mission and replace them with truth from God's word. So buckle up because I'll gather up my favorite seasoned and rising leaders in their fields to share inspirational stories, strategic advice, and hard-won wisdom. Welcome to the Do The Thing Movement Podcast. Do you ever get to the end of a podcast and just think, man, I am not done with that conversation. Girl, me too. And I love hearing from you about how not only the show is encouraging you, but also what God is stirring up in you as a result. And I just really wanted the opportunity to connect one-on-one with more of you. And that's why I've created a Patreon community. Patreon is an online platform that hosts bonus content and provides creators a way to hang out with their audience in a more intimate way. So here's how I'm going to use it. There are three tiers. First is the bestie tier, which will include access to the platform and extra conversations with all our guests that only Patreon besties will get to hear. These questions will not be shared here on your podcast platform. Then there's the VIP party tier. This includes the bestie tier and you get invited to a VIP party once a month on Zoom where we get to hang out, get to know one another better and maybe do some coaching in a group session from time to time. And then finally, there is the calling coach tier. In this tier, you'll be able to access the previous tiers plus have a 30 minute coaching call per month with me to talk about anything podcast, ministry or career related. How fun does this sound? So come on over to Patreon by downloading the app or visiting patreon.com and search Do The Thing Movement. I can't wait to meet you inside the community. Hey friends, I am so excited to be back with you today for another episode of the Do The Thing Movement podcast. Today I have on Jeff Martin. Jeff is an executive director at FCA. He's also the founder of Fields of Faith, an organization that you've probably heard the name of, but you may not know the story behind, which we unpack in this episode. And we get to talk about Jeff's new book, Empower. It's all about leading volunteers. And Jeff is so wise, and I wanted to bring him on because I know a lot of us are in a position where we are leading volunteers. And I just know this conversation is going to be so helpful. So let me introduce you to my new friend, Jeff Martin. Jeff, I am so excited to have you today. Thanks so much for being my guest. I am glad to be here, Rebecca. So I am thrilled to talk about your new book. I told you before we started recording, I was so excited to see it come across my desk. It's called Empower, the Four Keys to Leading a Volunteer Movement. So I would love for you to kick us off by just telling us a little bit about your heart behind the book. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we talk about volunteers. There, <laughs> there are literally millions and millions of volunteers that provide billions of hours of work that they give for free to organizations across not only the, uh, the United States, but around the world. And it's just amazing how many are out there. 
And, uh, you know, I, I think many times leaders of volunteers, they, uh, all of us tend to want to make sure that we, we have them all in the right place, that, that we're like managing them. Yeah. But what I've seen over the years is that we're leaving a lot on the table when it comes to moving them. There's a big difference between managing, making sure they're, you know, that they're, you know, they know what they're doing, they show up, they have all these, you know, all of the information, mm. but what about moving their heart? And so what I believe, and I wanted to capture in this book, this book is that there's already this extraordinary influence in every volunteer. It's sitting there. Yeah. And so we just want to be able to re- help leaders release that they're, they're already sitting on this powder keg yeah. of influence. So if we can move from managing, which is important, but also moving their heart within that, then there's incredible things that can happen. And that's the heart behind this book. Oh, I love that. Okay. So what you don't know about me is my husband is a lead pastor. So I am just imagining all these conversations. Uh, I'm going to have to that- be careful. <laughs> No, you don't have to be careful. We're friends here. Uh, But I'm thinking about all these conversations that I have, you know, with our leaders and just over different ministries. And man, sometimes it's hard to get beyond the management piece in the everyday, right? So I'm so excited about this conversation and it's going to help so many people. But before we jump into more kind of the thick of the book, I want to back up a little bit and have you share a little bit more of your story and sort of the work that you do. So if people are unfamiliar, well, they've probably heard the name Fields of Faith, but you're the founder of that organization. You're you're an executive director at FCA as well. And I would love for you to just talk a little bit about that story of how that ministry came to be. Maybe share a little bit with listeners who might be, might know the name, but might be unfamiliar with the story. Sure. Yeah. It's uh well, it really, uh, Rebecca, it came that that ministry came as a result of frustration, just like many, many events and many things that that take off in a special way. Many times that come innovation, things like that come from a period of frustration. And that's what happened. Uh, I was I'd been in ministry for you know, I'd gone to seminary I'd worked at a large, large church. Uh, I'd started ministry with. Uh, with FCA, done all types of things over several decades, and my the the point of frustration and and literally fear was I'd been working with students and uh, with athletes and coaches in schools for so many years, wanting to take the gospel and to disciple and, and to change the culture, and I realized over after all those years that I was sitting on my back porch one morning. I was having coffee and I'm just sitting out there going, my, my kids were getting ready to go into junior high and high school. My, you know, I have three, three children. My oldest was getting ready to go. And I I was like, you know what? It is not any better than when I started. In fact, it's worse. And and I'm like, what am I doing? Like what? So it was this frustration. And I happened to be reading in my quiet time that day in second Chronicles and you know, you. I don't think most people go, man. I need. I need a word of encouragement. I'm going to go to Second Chronicles. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, but that just happened to be where I was. All right, I'll open it up and read. And I read the story about King Josiah in Second Chronicles 34, and the story of of a young a young king that was in a nation that did not know the law of God. In fact, they had 
they had uh, lost all the scriptures. They didn't have, it was all gone because, because of uh, uh, his, his dad and his granddad, as far as leading uh, Judah. And so they had no scripture and it was a godless nation. And I went, yep, that's where we're headed. So it got my attention. I'm like, yeah, that, and then I, I started looking at it and he knew to just clean out the temple. So he just took baby steps. So he's cleaning out the temple because there were idols, everything in there. As they clean out the temple, they found this book, took it to him. He read it. And for the first time he realized, oh my gosh, we're, we need to, I need to repent. And he falls on his knees before God. And he did something real interesting. He went out and he grabbed everyone and he put them all in one place. And here's what he did. He read the word of God to them. And he said, this is where I'm going to stand. I want to challenge you to stand with me as long as, I, as long as I'm king. And what happened was, is that it said as long as he was alive, that that nation followed the, the book of the law. And so that's the heart behind Fields of Faith. I went, yeah. could we do that today? And it, and it just sort of hit me. I just sort of set up and I go, you know, what's the difference in a country that has no scripture and doesn't read and read it in a country that has an abundance of scripture and doesn't read it. Yeah. The, the end results the same. And so I thought, what well, could we do that now? Could we gather everyone in one place? Okay. Mm-hmm. And could we uh, have ordinary, not a priest, not a, not a pastor, not an expert, just ordinary young students tell how the word of God has changed their life and, and share that. And they be the, they're the speakers. They're the ones up there, not, not us talking at them. Sure. And, and so that was the idea, Rebecca. And, and it was very countercultural. Yeah. And I went to a bunch of, a bunch of leaders, a bunch of church leaders and business people. And the majority of them said it would never work. And the reason they said is because at that time, and I think even to today, there's this belief that you have to have a hook for students. Yeah. You've got to have a, a special speaker. You've got to have, you know, music, you know, celebrities and all that stuff. And that's not necessarily bad, right? I mean, sure. but, but the, there's, there, that was the idea. And, and I just sort of went, I, I, I just think we ought to try it and give the ordinary the mic. Mm. And so that's what we did. So that, that, that was the heart behind it. And so we said one of the last places left where, you, where an entire community gathers together, regardless of their background, race, mm. socioeconomic status, one of the last places, unfortunately, is not the churches. Sure. What is it? Well, a local stadium. Everyone gathers together around a common cause. We said, why don't we gather there? And then let's let's get these, let's, let's get let's unite the churches, organizations, campus organizations, and uh let's put a program together and let the students be the heroes. Mm-hmm. And and that's where it started. And what happened was it exploded. We started out with 17 uh, 17 rallies uh, or events in different communities, about 6,000 people came to it is amazing. And it kept growing over the years to now after 17 years, we've had over 2 million people attend it in stadiums across the country. And, uh, except for this past year, because of COVID, we didn't have as many, but there tends to be over a quarter of a million, uh, people gathering over 500 communities. And now it's happening around the world. So, that's a, I don't know if that was quick, but that's the history that and, is incredible. and uh, where Fields of Faith comes from. I love that. And I love hearing that story of what God did in your quiet time and how, you know, a lot of us probably 
know conceptually what you do with fields of faith, but I love how you took that step and thought, man, where are people gathering and how can we bring the gospel into this? And for, for you, that was sports, that was football, but we don't know what that might look like in another listener's life where they see people gathering in a different way and how they can do, you know, something, something similar or just be encouraged Mm. and spurred on by kind of your story. So I love that you share that. So the book is your four keys to leading what you call a volunteer movement. So what I don't want you to do is give out all of your secrets because I want listeners to go buy the book. So, because I love authors and I know that this is a, a tool in your tool belt to spread this message. And so what I would love for you to share is kind of what can listeners expect from the book, um, you know, as a volunteer, not manager, but mover, you know, being that person, what can they expect from this message? Yeah. You know, what's exciting is that uh, these are just principles. This isn't a program. It's not, it's not like, how can I do something like fields of faith? This is, this fields of faith is a backdrop because we saw this happen, but, but it, it, it's pulled from my experiences at, at, uh, at when I was served as a youth pastor in one of the largest Southern Baptist churches in the nation, you know, like, and then over the years working with thousands of volunteers. And so what I believe is going to happen is that you have listeners that are doing all types of things with volunteers, amazing things that they've been called to and that they're, they're doing in a unique way and the ability to take these these different these points that that have principles that have been unearthed uh, through fields of faith and other things that I've done. Sure. Now the ability to apply that to what they're already doing to create movement in their own organization. That's when I get excited because now it, it has no bounds. It's just going in all different directions, and it may be one of these principles is needed, maybe all four. So that's the idea behind it. But here's here's the here's the four principles. The, what, what I found out is the first one is the principle of value, all right? So if you're going to work with volunteers, is value. And so if you want to create movement, you you really need to trust the ordinary. You need to trust the volunteers mm-hmm. and call them to something crazy. Call them to something uh, that, you know, every within the heart of every volunteer is they want to be part of something that that is against all odds. They want to be part of something uh, of an epic story. That's why they sign up. They, they don't sign up to, to be a widget in an organization. They want to make a difference, whether it's little or small, but they want to be part of that. And so the idea as, as volunteer leaders, that's real hard for us sometimes. We look at them as, as uh, excuse me, we look at volunteers literally as widgets. I, I'm guilty of that. It's like, I need you to fill this spot right? We have all these needs. Please, please, please be a part of it. If I can guilt you into it, I will. I'll do whatever <laughs> I can just to get a warm body to fill a position, right? And so what ends up happening, uh, Rebecca, is that as the leader, the volunteer, we lower the expectation because they don't have to show up. They're not paid employees. So we'll lower the expectation. So when they do step over the bar, we're excited, right? Yeah. And, and then we just want them to show up. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so that's what happened. And, and that's how we approach them. Mm-hmm. When in reality, what moves moves a volunteer is when you involve them and elevate their, you know, that you elevate their involvement, you bring them uh, to to the to the surface of that and say, basically, we're going to do this. And if you don't show up, we fail. Now you've elevated and you've involved them. And you go now, how do you think we can make this happen? 
that's a whole different deal because now they see that you value them. Mm-hmm. And you do not value what you don't trust. So that's one of the first, that's one of the first keys is how do we as leaders look at our volunteers? Are they are they people to be rolled up into our organization? Or are they influencers that we can, if, if if we can give them the message of our organization, we release them out, literally out to to have incredible influence. That's how we look at it. All right. So that's the first key is value the volunteer. Uh, the second one is uh, it would be simplicity. And I, I've seen this happen many times. If you want to release a movement, you got to keep it simple. Many times you, you, you'll see movements, people starting to get excited about something. And the leaders give them so many things to do that they're looking around and they don't know where they're trying to do this. And it just dissipates, you know. Mm-hmm. So the idea is what you're asking, they are volunteers, right? Don't dump all of this stuff on them. Come to them and spend a lot of time as a leader and figure out what exactly it is that we're going to accomplish and make it simple. They can understand it. Right. Because they have families. They have all of these things. So it can be epic, but yet simple of what you're asking Mm -hmm. uh, of the volunteers. And I've seen many movements just die on the vine because there's so many things going on. I don't even know what we're doing. I guess I'll just do this right here. So that would be that would be the uh, the the second principle that I that I saw and I've experienced. And the third would be the word common. So you know, if you want to create movement, uh, I would say this: don't just take in something. Don't, in, in other words, for your volunteers, don't give them something to take in. Give them something to take on. Yeah. So there's a difference between a common goal. Hey, we got all these goals, and see that's management. We got these goals. We got to achieve the goals. That's not bad. But there's a difference between that. I would say at just turn the diamond a little bit, let the mm-hmm. light refract and go after a common enemy. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that creates unity more than when people are going, oh, there, there's a common enemy that we're taking on. So not just take in something. Here's what I need you to do. But people want to unite to take on something to bring something down. That's the epic. They, they want to be part of that. And you can identify that. Uh, in, in your organization. I, I, I use an example, uh, Mark Green, uh, with he's the chief strategy officer for Hobby Lobby. They wanted to, you know, distribute Bibles. Mm-hmm. And they worked with uh, every tribe, every nation. And um, so they, you know, had a goal. They wanted to distribute all these Bibles. But here's how he put it. Here's how they approached it. He said, I'm going to read this. He said, I'm a part of a collaborative effort called Every Tribe, Every Nation, which is a partnership between ministry partners and gospel patrons to, now get this, eradicate Bible poverty. Mm. Eradicate Bible poverty. That's the enemy, right? Then he says, we want to make sure all 7,000 people groups have access to scripture in their heart language by 2033. So that's the goal. But he put in there, eradicate Bible poverty. Well, instead of just, hey, we'll distribute Bibles and this is what I want you to do. He's going, we are taking down Bible poverty. Would you like to join us? Mm-hmm. Well, now the volunteers go, I want to be a part of that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's the idea. If you can if you can look at a common enemy and the way what happened with the first group, with, for me, with Fields of Faith, we had youth pastors and pastors and, and coaches and, and parents in this room. And I was like, guys, we are losing. We are on defense all the time. We are losing. And we don't do something different. I go, Satan is is at the door. He's roaring like a lion. And, and I go, and what we're doing, and we had that, 
it, it was like we really elevated who was that enemy and it united us. So mm-hmm. the opportunity in any organization you're in, what is the common enemy? It could be all types of things, but what's the common enemy? And the last thing is the word uh, ownership. And really that's the result. When, yeah. you, when, when you show value, you keep it simple. You identify a common enemy as part of your goals and things like that. Ownership happens. And I would say this, to re- if you want to release a movement, don't attend the concert, be the concert. Mm. So your volunteers, hey, I don't need you to go bring people to come and attend the concert and, and listen to the band and listen to the speaker. You are the concert. You are on the stage. You do have the mic. And um, and it's it's neat on, on our book. The book on the front is just a microphone. Mm-hmm. And it's the doc, give them the mic, like let them elevate them to, to what's there. And so those are the four principles of, of, uh, of the book. And they're fleshed out with all types of stories and examples um, that bring that to life. I love that. That's so good. Okay. I'm curious, as you talk to leaders about this, what do you find is the thing that they struggle with the most? What is the hardest thing that people find about leading volunteers? Well, it, it really is that movement. It's yeah. how to inspire them where they own it. That That is okay. so, like, how do you do that? Leaders want that. Yeah, We all want that, but how do you do that? And the easiest thing to do is to manage because yeah. there's metrics. You Here's your job description. Here's, I need you to hear, I need you to do this and I can check that off. Again, that's not bad. But what we do is we try and manage better yeah. because it's real difficult when you're talking about moving the heart and inspiring them to where they own it. And they're coming to you and they're like, man, I mean, they're just getting after it on their own mm-hmm. as part of an overall epic movement. That's hard to do. There's not a lot of books on that. There's not, you know, there's not out there. So I think that would probably be some of the biggest challenges. And I think I know for me, I would go, well, um, they're volunteers, you know, they're not employees. I can't fire them. So I just got to do, you know, like hopefully I can get them to show. I just want them to show up, you know, yeah. and that would be the challenge that I think most, most leaders of volunteers would, would say, yes. How do you inspire them to own what we're asking them to be a part of? Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. And that kind of leads us into our next question, which it may be a similar answer, but so you've been you've been a youth pastor in in your background. So you have sat in a similar kind of ministry seat, and I'd be curious how would you encourage church leaders? Gosh, especially now, right? I think volunteers mm-hmm. and what that looks like in the context of the church has changed so much this year. Even even for us, you know, we're in a small pocket of South Mississippi, and things change from week to week, right? Like we weren't wearing masks last week and now we've had a little bit of an outbreak and numbers are going up. And so things are changing all the time. So, and something tells me that in February when this interview airs, that won't have, all the world's problems won't be fixed. So how would you encourage church leaders today as they are leading and moving their volunteers forward? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I've, had the opportunity to sit at the table on, on uh, round tables of major organizational groupings of ex- the executives of some of the largest nonprofit 
ministries around the world. And so the leaders get together and we talk. And, and so there's been a lot of conversations during this time of all types of church leaders, denomination leaders, uh, organizational uh, uh, ministry leaders, and everyone was thrown for a loop. Mm-hmm. And it's in, it's interesting, Rebecca, that that the word you keep hearing thrown around is they've realized the importance of the word and power. Yeah. And the reason for that is, and I'll, I'll go back to when the, the very heart of valuing the volunteer when we started Fields of Faith. All of a sudden, I, I think the in the past, the, the MO for ministry was let's get people to come to our to to the building and church to hear mm-hmm. the message and to corporate worship and all that. Again, which is great. That needs to happen. That's biblical, mm-hmm. right? But when that's the only operations operational mindset, what hap- what happens when that's taken away? Well, now all of a sudden you can't get everyone together and and now everyone's spread out. But if you have already had the mindset that my job is to empower, is to hand off, is to move the heart of these, you know, all, all of the people out there, not the ministry experts and the paid staff mm-hmm. is out there, then we don't have a problem because they're still influencing those around them. And so mm-hmm. what happened was that a lot of the church leaders were lost. They were like, RMO is gone. It's always about come here us. And so they go, how do we empower? How do we empower? How, how do we, we've never done that. And the ministries that already had that mindset flourished. They, they, it was just like, they just kept going. I mean, because the ministers are out there regardless of, of the church and they just kept ministering. And so I, I think for the, to, to encourage the leaders is, is don't, don't look at your volunteers in, in your church as just people to be rolled up. Mm-hmm. into your church and into your program, all right? Think of them as influencers to be able to be pushed out. And so when you do that, you approach different. You want to give them the mic. You do take chances. I'm not saying give away all the leadership, yeah. but you do take chances and they may or may not fail. But you do know this is that they're all listening to each other. Yeah. You know, our culture is more, everyone is a producer now. Back in the day, everyone just sort of, they were told, here's the movies that you get to watch. You only get to watch three channels on TV. Here's some sports you get to watch. And it was very limited. Casey Kasem, that's before your time, he would say the weekly top 40. He would tell you the top 40 songs. And then now it's everyone's a producer. Everyone's on YouTube, Amazon, Uber, all of that. And the business culture, that world has realized that and they're leaning into it. The question is, has the church mm-hmm. is that those people that are out there, they're the producers They're They, they take the gospel out. They live that and they influence all the people around them. And so that would be my encouragement during this time, because that is pandemic proof. Like you just continue to move and have that influence because you view them that way. And I would, and again, the last thing would be, I don't think, the leaders of our churches have been wrong. I mean, like, like we are supposed to lead, we are supposed to bring together that type of deal. But I do think in that, that we've missed the opportunity to empower those that are in the pews and send them out. Yeah, that's so good. One thing that you, you've heard a lot and we've said a lot during this time is just that the church is not where we are, but who we are and it's in us, it's not us in a building. I mean, I'll brag on our leaders and say it's been so cool to watch people who 
had no idea what Zoom was in March Mm -hmm. to step up and learn, not only learn how to use it, but disciple people over a small group in their home, you know, leading seven or eight other women um, where their only other social interaction was the girl checking them out at Kroger, you know? And so it's so special to watch, to watch that happen and see how God has worked in that, even though it's not, it's, it's not what we would prefer. It's not, you know, what we imagined for 2020, but it's been really sweet to see even people in our own church step up and, um, and step into that. So that's been really special. So we, before we move on to our Patreon questions, I want to ask you one more question as a leader what do you think is the best leadership advice that you've ever been given? That I've been given? Uh, yikes. Um, okay. So there's, uh, I, all right, here's the advice. Never let an elephant cut you off. And, and, and this is what, this is what I mean by that. Okay. I was in Africa. We were in, in Zimbabwe and we were on a tour going through the Matopos game range and we were wanting to take pictures and there were, and, and we had this low, this, this guy that was driving this van with the top cut out and we were taking all these pictures. Well, everyone wanted to see an elephant. Uh-huh. And as we were driving along, we never could see it. And finally, after hours, this elephant comes crashing out to the side of us and a bunch of them. And it came sort of running towards us and we go, Oh my gosh, here's the elephant. And we told the, the, he is a, he's one of, one of the locals He's driving. He takes off, and we're like we're yelling at him, yeah. And um, and to stop, and finally he stops. So we go past the elephant. Well, we're we're sitting there taking pictures, and all of a sudden this bull elephant charges us, like full. It was terrifying. The the ears were out, the nose trumpeting. There's dust. He's running right at us, and now we're yelling at the driver, go go! Like we're telling him to go. We were saying stop, and so he outruns it or outdrives it, whatever. And he gets to the, he gets past it and it stops charging us. He turns around. He hadn't said anything all day. And um, he said, never let an elephant cut you off. Cause he said, if he would have let them get in front of us and cut off the road, he said, like people get killed cause they attack the, you know, they can't get around them and they'll surround. And, and I, I remember leadership advice is listen to the people who are closest to the issues. Yeah. Listen, li- listen to them because they'll, they're more than likely they're going to have wisdom and probably the best answer to the problem that you have. So for me as a leader, it's, it's this idea of listen, humble yourself, listen to those that that um, who are part of what you're doing. Mm. Don't let an ele- elephant cut you off. That's what I've always remembered. That's so good. I will have to remember that. That's really good advice. <laughs> Okay, so I want you to tell listeners before we sign off where they can find the book, where they can connect with you, all those things. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, we have a there's a website empoweryourvolunteers.com. Okay. So I, I guess you put www dot in front of it, but empoweryourvolunteers.com, and that'll have information on the book, how you can order it, the various ways you can order that, and uh, contact information. Would that be the main way? Uh, is to go to that website. Mm -hmm. Good deal. Awesome. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for being my guest today. I am excited to hop on over to our Patreon community and go through kind of our rapid fire questions. That's going to be fun, but thank you for being with me today. Awesome. Thank you. 
Thanks so much for listening to the show. I am so thrilled to have you be a part of this community. I wanted to remind you of a couple of things. Number one, did you know that when people rate and review podcasts on Apple Podcasts, it actually helps more people come across the show? And when that happens, the messages we're sharing get spread even further and we get to encourage more people. I can't think of anything more fun than that. So it would mean the world to me if you would do something that would take just two minutes of your time. Hop on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a written review. Tell me all about how the show is encouraging you and invite others to listen in. It truly means the world to this girl on the other side of the mic. And then number two, if you're loving the show and want even more content from Do The Thing Movement, hop on over to our Patreon page on your desktop or mobile device to listen to after the show bonus interviews, attend live Zoom parties, and receive extra coaching. Simply download the Patreon app or do it on your desktop device and search Do The Thing Movement. I would love to see you over there in that community. Thanks again for listening, and I can't wait to be back with you next episode. Same time, same place. Bye, friends.